Hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. This is episode 89, and joining me today is Mishi Wei Duan. Hello. Hello. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for being on. Yeah. Great. So you are... How do we... Okay, I'll, I'll say uh, I know you as a first assistant director, specifically, mostly... Um, how, what, how, how do you see yourself these days? Um, no, you're correct. Um, I mostly identify myself as a first assistant director. Um, when I introduce myself, I do say I am a film assistant director for clarification since other industries do have assistant directors. Um, I know that you know me, um, also as a script supervisor, but nowadays I don't really, associate myself with that position anymore since I haven't done it for a couple years so yeah right okay great so we'll get into that a little bit too I want to jump into origins I want to jump into what you're pursuing these days um and I want to jump into process and craft stuff too like how you do your job and and things that people don't know about the job because I know that's a that's a hurdle that we jump over. It's a job I explain every day. Yeah. <laughs> Probably even to your own crew. No, no, they know what we do, right? They should know. That, that's the goal, <laughs> I hope. They're like, by the way, I do, you do have to communicate things to me. I should know this. <laughs> um, all right. So I don't know. I don't know where to start. Let's see. I'm trying to. Uh, okay, let's let's start with the let's start with a basic, general, easy question, just to lay the foundation for people. Uh, the question is, why, why first, why first, why why assistant directing, um, how assistant directing? Let's start with that. Um. Honestly, the real reason as to why I chose assistant directing is because I found that I'm really great at taking other resources and just like bringing it together and informing it to people. And on top of that, the thing that made me click into realizing I wanted to do assistant directing was when, pardon my French, I worked on one too many shit shows where I sat there and I couldn't do anything about it, you know? And most of us working in the film industry are doing it because we love filmmaking. We come into it loving the craft of it. Obviously, some of us fell into it, so we didn't have a choice, and that's just like where we kind of ended up. But for a good chunk of us, a lot of us came in because we loved it. So it sucks coming into a production where production management or the AD team wasn't doing wasn't um, catering to something safe or something enjoyable for the crew, something running very smoothly, where at the end of the day, even though we had a great product, the people behind camera were just not happy. And I felt like as an assistant director, I'm able to control the tone in which the set moves, the way the set communicates with each other. And it just makes me feel a lot of satisfaction behind ADing, despite the fact that it is a stressful job that's great yeah i i that is okay yeah because you're watching it go down and you're and you're like i could be doing i could do a better job than what these people are doing they're not thinking things through 
how I think they should be doing it. So let me just do yeah. this myself kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like we are the information hub on set. You know, people come to us for information about what's happening. The way that I describe it to people a lot as to why I don't do producing is that the producers are kind of like the um, – I don't know the correct military rankings, but like the general in the back, they're like the one who pushes out the resources, you know? I'm like the, the general in the front. I'm the one who like leads everybody through the battle um, with everything. So I'm, I'm like there on set helping with all of that going. Um, so I just love being a part of the set life rather than being fully in the office, so. Okay. All right. Um. Great. I do want to, let's, I, okay, I do, let's take a little bit of a, let's go even further back in time then to figure out how you found your way to it in the first place, just to lay that foundation down too, because did you, because I don't even think I, I'm not even sure if I know this or if I've forgotten this or what the, <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been a bit, um, how did you find your way into film in the first place? Because I know, like you started film editing first mm -hmm. and then found your way onto set as a script soup. But I don't know if there's any PAing or if you, what school, what, what schooling you did or, or even when, I'll just throw a bunch of questions out there. <laughs> or even when um, you caught the creative bug in the first place and had movie going, movie making as a option at all. Sure. Um, as you can see, I am Asian American. So as a child, you would think that my parents often pushed me to be a doctor or a lawyer, etc. But my parents discovered very early on that I was a creative child and they helped nurture that. Um, like originally when I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer. My parents were like, okay, cool. Um, and then in high school, um, I wanted to be a graphics designer until I started playing a bunch of video games. And through one of the video games, um, I discovered like some sort of emulator where you could take elements of that video game and just like make your own stories out of it. Um, kind of like how like Machinima did with like their games with like Red and Blue. So I did that, made my own like little mini stories and had my high school friends like do like the voiceover work for it. And that's when I fell into editing and um, I started working in my high school broadcast class, um, and from then on, I was, like, editing, directing. Um, so I did go to film school. I went to Cal State Long Beach um, for the film editing program. Um, around that time, Steven Spielberg was giving grants to the school. Um, I didn't see most of it, unfortunately. Um, and... I really, really wanted to get into film editing for like movies, but that's unfortunately not where my networking and my journey took me. I fell into mostly digital new media and marketing. I worked for World of Dance before they were bought out by NBC, like back when they were still a startup. I worked for a couple YouTubers, and at some point I was like, this is not really where I wanted to be. Um, so I hit up a couple friends who were in the industry. I restarted working on set as a PA, and I did have some script supervising training from high school from a, um, a trained script supervisor, Todd Howard, mm -hmm. and that's when I started falling into script supervising alongside ADing at the same time, but mostly as an ADPA. It, those journeys happened at the same time. And it was during my script supervising journey 
that I decided I wanted to do AD. Not because I didn't like script supervising. I love script supervising. I wish I could pursue it more, but my like gut just told me I wanted to do AD much more. So okay, that's a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, all right. Yeah, I get the – I understand the script supervisor uh, feeling of, like, you just want to be involved. Like, I want to have some power here. I don't know if I don't know if it's power or – like, you like there, a lot of productions don't really lis- listen to their script supervisor. It's harder for the script supervisors to establish a voice in, a, in the room. Like, it's a lot of work up front to earn the trust of the team. But as an AD, you're kind of, like, built into the foundational structure of production. Um, so I get the, yeah, I get the, the, that there, but I do want to go back to, cause you talked about high school and you talked about the editing for like the YouTubers and stuff. So I want, I want to hear a little bit more about the specificities of if there's an, I'm just curious to dig into that a little bit. Like when we are working as the director editor for high school news, mm-hmm. what does that look like? What kind of stuff are you putting together and how? Yeah, how yeah, you know, I'm just some stories you cover cuz I did some stuff like in middle school, but I didn't do any high school stuff. So I'm just uh, curious. Yeah. Um so I went to Fountain Valley High School and at Fountain Valley they have a broadcast program called Baron Banner, not Baron Banner. Baron Banner is the newspaper. Baron Broadcast News. Um and they mostly did like you know standard news coverage for the school for like sports general news um but they also kind of like did like little fun sketches on the side um our competing school who also had like a little broadcasting going on was Huntington Beach High School which had a arts program called APA um I've had a couple friends from Cal State Long Beach who also did programs like that and most of the time they would cater towards teaching people how to use cameras. At the time, we had Canon uh, DV cameras, so we had like little mini DV tapes at the time. And my time there, we were transitioning slowly to SD cards. So we had the capture deck and everything. Anytime like files were corrupted, you could see through like the gray bars. So um, if that shows how old I am as a millennial, obviously I'm not as old as like some people who deal with like bigger tapes and all that, but yeah, I was in a transitional time between mini DV tapes and SD cards. Um, we, they also taught us to, um, produce media, um, from a like production management standpoint, like what do we need to shoot? Who do we need to hire? Um, and what is our deadline to get so-and-so segments out for these weekly episodes that would come out every um, Wednesday or Friday? They always changed it. Um, and then there's obviously directing. Um, once in a while, we would have the opportunity to direct a sketch or uh, we had this annual Halloween like horror story that we would like direct like a feature film or a short film film so it was like little little droplets of what working in film or tv broadcast would be like so okay because this was like an established news like the whole time you're going like i don't know if this is like senior year junior year sophomore it could be year. Any year you could be a freshman all the way up until senior okay. year obviously the people who were seniors had you know, seniority rights over, sure, you know, certain <laughs> positions. So. Literally seniority. 
Um, yeah. Okay. So were you a part of it like all the years? Or you just jumped into it? Like, I jumped in a little late because I didn't discover that I wanted to do film until my sophomore year. So I think I joined either my sophomore or junior year. Okay. So I'm a late bloomer. Yeah. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, because I don't – I'm thinking about um, – because when I, I don't know, just talk about me for a second, if I may. Because <laughs> uh, when I did the new stuff in middle school, I took like a video editing course mm-hmm. at that point. And that's when I kind of had my first, like, oh, it's fun to, it's fun to like clip the video and then clip the video and then watch it play through. And you're like, oh, it feels like a movie. Mm-hmm. Like just how the editing works and learning through that. But I remember how we launched, we tried launching a news like a new show for the middle school after our media class kind of got our hands on this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they let us do some segments and they, they pulled our privileges pretty quick. Cause, oh, no. cause I think, I think it was probably like, I don't know if it was my fault. Um, I think I was interviewing people about what they thought about Yu-Gi-Oh cards. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one of the kids was like, Oh, it's dumb. Or, Oh, oh they said like crap. Or they said, I don't know. That was not, it wasn't even like a big cuss word, but they kind of talked negative negatively about it and said a word that the school wasn't happy with. And they said, you can't do the new show anymore. Oh no. So I hope you, you sounds like you probably had your stuff together a little bit better with more, with more practices in place that you knew what you were doing. We did, yeah, we, I mean, we did I not. Mean, obviously there was some level of censorship to like what we could say or do because obviously, you know, it's school. Um, speaking of editing, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I, th- I think most of us, even though we had the class for editing, most of us were self-taught with editing. Um, at some point, there was a student who would teach and pass on their skills editing on um, Adobe Premiere, Final Cut, Movie Maker, when it still existed then, and iMovie. Um, I mostly use Premiere. Prior to working in the broadcast class, I did Sony Vegas. You know, self-taught on that because I was trying to make those video game um, videos. So, um, yeah, we, we had a quite a bit of different, like, video editing resources and people to teach uh, who could pass on their skills at the time. So that was really nice because it, it didn't come from the teachers. It came from, you know, the seniors. So. Okay. So it sounds – and then you were able to, do, just to practice some narrative stuff mm-hmm. at the same time too. Yeah. Which is very cool. Nice. <laughs> Okay, so then I guess jumping to um, the editing side and dipping your toes in that space because you were trying to work your way towards narrative editing for features and TV probably, I'm going to assume. I don't know. Um, what's the workflow like for, like, you say it wasn't for you and it wasn't quite what you're looking for. What It, it was yeah. more like I wanted to get into film editing for narrative. I just never got there. I mostly fell into editing like dance videos, music videos, marketing videos. I did like motion graphics design for a little bit, you know, so that's the realm that I fell in or like um, YouTube blogs, for example. And like, I personally feel like I'm, I am great at those things, but passionately, I want to go yeah. the other way. So that's why I made the switch to set life. Yeah. Like what is editing when you, I'm assuming it's kind of mobile, like, uh, what's the word that working like mobile work? Like you're not really with the team. You kind of just receive a bunch of footage and then 
like I'm trying to imagine a vlog, like vlog that's kind of almost like docu style, right? You just get a, yeah. you just get like yeah, a yeah, dump. Yeah, it's very of like, much like unscripted work. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like here's my day. Can you make a video about it? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, I'll try to make this interesting and throw some music on it, and yeah, okay. It was good fun though while it lasted. Yeah, yeah. Great, cool. All right, first AD. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about. From your perspective, because you have experience as a first AD, you have experience in other roles in the production department underneath other first ADs too. Um, So, and I guess I should mention too, uh, the other exciting thing about having you on the show is that like I'm on set, I'm on a bunch of, I don't know, I'll call it. I hear your name on set quite often, actually. I'm like, I'll hear just the name Mishi. All good things, I hope. All good things. <laughs> All good things. But people will just be talking at lunch or something, and like your name will come up somehow. And I'll be like, hey, I know Mishi. And you're like, you know Mishi? And you, we know Mishi. You know Mishi? And like, everybody seems to know, uh, seems to know you. And have, everybody has great things to say when you come up. Um, oh, that's so nice. Which is very, which, <laughs> yeah. So being that uh, you're here now, um curious to hear about what your take is on you talk you you said a little bit before but what makes a good first ad and then maybe some things that like what makes maybe not what are some traits that aren't you know bad first ad sure, <laughs> good and bad. sure. no no that's a good question um i'm gonna start with the second question the is bad that okay the bad yeah sure okay um so traditionally, a lot of people used to view first ADs as like the bossy bitch on set, um, part of my French again, um, and they were often seen as like the screamers, the angry people, the ones who were always stressed out, and it comes from like a drop of truth, you know? They were mostly from that realm, um, and assistant directors also have the highest suicide rate in the film industry because it's such a stressful job. You know, like I said, we are a information hub. We are expected to have all the answers and anything related to safety or like production logistics, even though the producer has their name at the Oscars, you know, it's not the 80s that get the Oscars, the producers get the Oscars for all the logistical stuff. Um, All of that stress falls down to the AD at the end of the day. So that's where a lot of the stress and anger may come from. Um, So that is like the negative aspect of jumping into aiding is realizing first and foremost that it is a stressful job. You have to learn how to manage your stress and and your temper. Um, And not everybody will like you. Um, But that also comes down how you carry yourself, how you communicate with other people. So most bad assistant directors that I see don't know how to manage that stress. They don't know how to communicate with people that helps them understand how we feel and helps ourselves understand how those other departments feel. Um, A good example that I also give for like bad directors and producers are those who just don't understand how much time certain departments need. What are the needs of these departments realistically 
that they need time-wise or resource-wise, you know? And if they don't understand those resources and time needs, then they get angry and they out of like misunderstanding or lack of understanding. Another thing is that they just don't know how to manage their time, despite the fact that we are supposed to be timekeepers. Um, they're like, oh, how long does this take? 15 minutes, get it done in five. Well, I mean, now you're gonna get angry because they won't get it done in five because realistically, they can't get it done in five. So th those are things that I see in certain assistant directors um, among other department heads that make them like not so great at their jobs. Um, but that can be catered by realizing that we are problem solvers. We don't have to say no all the time. We just say, I don't know. That's an acceptable answer. And then we follow it up by saying, let me help you find that answer though. That's what makes a really great assistant director, producer, director on set is being able to problem solve. We are all collaborators and we are all problem solvers. So as long as we go out of our way to educate ourselves about the different rules, guidelines, needs, realistic time constraints of like whatever the production needs and department heads need, um, that'll help calm our mind a lot more and also have the ability to think of different avenues of answers to give to people. Like not necessarily like, like bullshitting an answer. Like it's just like, oh, this doesn't really work. But what about these three options, you know? Oh, uh, I don't have a red shirt for you, but we have maroon, orange, and blah, blah, blah. And in this store also sells a red shirt. Let's see what we can do to get you what you need, you know, stuff like that. Um, this basically leads into what makes a good assistant director is, you know, good education and research, better way of communicating with people that is respectful and calm. Um, that's where a lot of my communication comes from. Um, but also don't forget that you are the assistant director. So you have, you have to be assertive and make yourself present. Um, this especially applies to people who are smaller stature, female, minority, um, because oftentimes you'll deal with people who are taller, bigger, um, a little stronger personality who you have to counter with. Um, you're not necessarily overpowering them, but show them that you are there, you are here to help, and I am, you know, I am the boss. I am the assistant director. I'm here managing the team. Yes. <clears throat> yes. I know, a long, lengthy answer. No, that's great. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm thinking about, like, how, yeah, because I, I have experienced first aiding, too, and I'm on the, I guess the question, I, I have a question I'm going to lead into. I'll first say that I'm a quiet person. So when it feels similar to like what you're saying is there's a stereotypical first AD that people have in their brains they expect to see. And sometimes when people come in with a different, quieter space, they're like, wait a second, what's what's this? <laughs> um, so I know it's like, a, it's like a thing to overcome similar to like what you were saying about stature and everything else uh i guess okay i'll ask where does the where does the the yelling first ad fit into good first ading like because 
or how or how do you or how do you approach it because set is the bigger the set kind of the more things that are going on and there's a lot to manage and actually sometimes the smaller the set you know it's you everybody's trying to be in a space all at the same time you have art department dressing here you've got camera you've got the grips in the like the dolly team laying out their track and you've got all this stuff going on and you've got everybody's talking and it's a tiny room and it's so loud how do you approach the noise the the how do you communicate in that kind of space or how do you manage that sure um fortunate for me i have like a naturally not like loud voice um but i'm able to project my voice really well um and there's a difference between projecting your voice versus, like, yelling and screaming at people. I mean, that doesn't mean I haven't, like, done it, like, once when, like, things just got way too loud and a little rambunctious. Um, I think this is where my experience from working in school clubs kind of helps a lot, um, where we've had to manage, like, a large body of students and get them to be quiet for stuff. So I, I've, I've definitely used some techniques from working in those clubs, like if you can hear me once, you know, you can hear me twice, but mostly I use those for kids, you know, we're all full grown adults, hopefully. Um, so I treat them like full grown adults um, with a little bit of like play in the middle. Um, I think the yelling, like I said, as long as it's like more projecting, I have had a couple quieter first ADs. Like even my last show I worked on, my first AD was a little bit quieter, but he mostly spoke through what we call the voice of God on set. And on union sets, you'll get a lot of these like little speaker systems just like this with a, a speaker somewhere like in the set where everybody can hear it and he'll speak through it. And it's like a modern day uh, megaphone. So there, there are ways to cater to those who have quieter voices to speak on set to everybody else. Um, at the end of the day, I think it really comes down to your tone. As long as your tone, even though you're a quiet person, um, has some sort of assertiveness at some point during the day, people will listen to you um, if you're nice. You know, It's hard. As an assistant, you have to be nice to everybody, but also you have to be like assertive. So it's like a weird like balance you have to like figure out. Um, and fortunately, I think I've kind of figured out my balance, but... It, it's a tricky game to play because you have to feel out the personality of the set, you know? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, be nice, but be, yeah, you have to, there are consequences, but, like, I am telling you, like, I'm, you're trying to be as honest as possible, right? Like, yeah. you're, you're, like, we have this much time. We're, yeah, we're... I, I, I always, like, try to, like, let them know. My strategy with some directors is um, if they're a little softer and newer, I do handhold them a lot more. You know, each shot has a certain time restraint, blah, blah, blah. But if I know they're a little bit more experienced, I go, you got an hour. Do what you will with that hour, but I'm going to come back closer to an hour and say, hey, you got less than an hour. We got to move on. But I will also give you those options. Like, so if you want to keep going, like, we're going to have to cut down some time on this end. But I, like, I know that both of these are important to you let me have a conversation with the producer to see what we can do on the tail end. You know, like stuff like that. You always want to work with your director, but also be like, now we got to move on. Like there's just not enough time. Um, again, my voice is like still calm, but I'm not like, you know, mean about it. So 
Yeah, it almost feels similar to script supervising in the way of like as a script supervisor, the job is almost just to like, as long as you speak up and you voice that, okay, the there's a continuity issue with this or this, as long as I voice that that's a thing, mm -hmm. then you leave it up to the other people to decide, or is it worth going for another take yeah. to correct that, that she should have grabbed it with her right hand and not her left hand. And also her hair was in front of her ears mm -hmm. instead of behind her ears. Mm -hmm. And then they get to make the call and like, no, it's fine. Exactly. We'll, we'll do that. Same as someone's first AD is like, yeah. it's, it's not our movie. Yeah. People don't realize that a lot of these decisions at the end of the day, it's the director, you know, like the director's vision, obviously creatively, but logistically, if we're running low on time, it's because of partially because of the director, because I can, I can show you all the times so I can manage the time for you but if the director is being resistant to that time and the options that I provide them then we're not working as a team it's no longer a collaborative process from the creative and the logistical end so at the end of the day if the schedule is running behind yes you could put the blame on the assistant director but you could also put the blame on the director as well as the director of photography you know we're all one big team it's 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 all our job so yeah. How do you, uh, this feels like a basic communication establishing trust thing, but how do you, there's this thing that happens sometimes on set where as a first AD, you go up to anybody, you can go up to any department. They can go to makeup, you can go to camera. How much time do you need for this? And they'll give you a time and then you come back at that amount of time and they're not done yet. Like, how do you, is it, is, who's, whose fault is that? Because <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. People do this thing where they, I feel like my diagnosis, let me know if this is accurate, is that people want to please the AD by giving them a time that the AD is going to be happy with so the AD can walk away and let them do their thing. Um, but... If they say, oh, this is in, in their head, they're like, I need 20 minutes for this, but I'm going to say 15 because it sounds better. And then they just, like, I'll deal with this later. Or I, I don't know what goes through people's, why, why do, how do you, <laughs> how do you fix that? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I have noticed over time, especially within the last recent years, is that asking for time is kind of like haggling, you know? You're in a market, you're like, ten dollars like five eight dollars you know um and, and and asking for time is kind of the same way so in terms of gauging time from my experience it's like looking at a chart with experience versus time you know um most of the time when someone has less experience they're gonna need more time they're gonna tell me 10 like I, I, here's my best example a, what do you call those? A gimbal, for example, like a Movi gimbal. Camera team on a non-experienced crew um, will always be like, yeah, 20 minutes. You know, we'll get it up in 20. And I'll be like, you're going to get it up in at least 45. And if you're really green, two hours. And most of the time, I put my clock up, and they're still finagling. They're still finagling, finagling. A really experienced assistant camera would would get that up in like 10 to 20 minutes but on average 45 
you know, like even study cams, um, because they need the time to calibrate everything, balance everything, you know, every new lens is another five minute balance. And that comes down to experience of working with those departments and averaging out between experience and non-experience to see how that time gauges. Now, when you're moving from union and non-union, experience or non-experience, people are going to ask for more time regardless, you know? Um, and you will run into people who will just give you a, uh, you know, give you a lie. Like, oh, like, it'll be done 15, you know? But, you know, they actually need more time. They just get scared to tell you. I've dealt with that for sure. Um, and that also just comes down to communicating with them and building some sense of trust with them. Um I always try to push for realistic times. Um, I mostly because it works out in our favor when we work for realistic times. Once I get those realistic times, then I'll start pushing down and be like, "Hey, so ladies, for example, take forty-five minutes average non-glam makeup for hair and makeup on a non-union set." For union, they do 45 minutes hair, 45 minutes makeup. But from my experience working on so many indie shoots, we can squeeze it down to 45 minutes hair and makeup together. Now, when someone tries to squeeze that under 30 minutes, then I start questioning that. Um, and then anything over like an hour, then I'm like, hmm, like what are you doing to that person that requires more than an hour? So I think to really fight those battles with time, kind of comes with experience with just experiencing how long all of these departments really take and it's also part of the reason why I took a break from ADing when I first started to explore other departments like I had friends train me in working as a second AC doing like GNE swing for a little bit um, and seeing how long certain lights take to set up so then when I AD nobody comes up to me and goes Oh, it's going to take like 45 minutes to set up. I'm like, what are you setting up? Oh, just like this T-bone over here. I'll be like, well, it's going to take like 15 minutes. You just like boom, boom and done, you know? So uh, really just experience. And then after a while when you like know how long certain things take, just tell them. Uh, most of the time they tell me 20, I just tell them, all right, 20 minutes on the clock. Don't bother them. Come back in 20. Hey, you told me 20 minutes. How much more time do you need? You keep them accountable. You told me 20 minutes, and then I come back, it's like, hey, so here's another 10 minutes I gave you, So, and then at the end of the day. So in today, you took a total of 30 minutes. So how long are you gonna take with this person tomorrow? Do you still need the 30, or do you think you can get it done 15? So keeping people accountable. Yep. It's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's all about communication about how you communicate, what you communicate, and also, you know, you always have to stay on your toes with time. You know, you let your guard down for a second and all of a sudden, like, two hours pass by. <laughs> okay, yeah, that sounds like the correct answer. I like it. I just, it's, it's, just, it's just a lot of work. It's just a lot <laughs> of work. I feel, I feel for it. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy... Um, Okay, yeah, I'm thinking about, <clears throat> as a script supervisor, I enjoy being buddy-buddy with the first AD because I do have that first AD experience too, and I don't have to, the stress isn't on my shoulder, so I'm like... I feel that. Sometimes <laughs> I feel so happy when I'm in a script supervising chair. I'm like, I 
I could have chose this life. I could have chose the happy life where I just focus on creatives, you know, be the director's best friend. I just tell people, oh, the cup's actually this way, not this way. And people are like, what? But I chose ADing, where, which is like a little bit more of a thankless job compared to script supervising. Yeah, they both have thankless aspects to them for sure. Mm-hmm. But the one takes a lot more specific outward energy. Script soup, you got to be internal a lot. Um, but yes, okay, great, good first ads. <laughs> Let me see what. All right, I what I want to jump into is you have um on your Instagram, you have been pretty good about posting like little reels and videos, kind of little snippets from set, and even some little memes here and there. Essentially, I'm gonna list off a couple and kind of. Sure. Get the larger picture behind the why and slash explaining it for people that are less familiar with why it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I don't know, this one feels recent. It might have been just in the last day or two even. You can let me know. But it's, the video is of you in a trailer and you and the on the on the text on the screen, like you're kind of hopping around with a certain face. <laughs> and... Uh, says we have to push this scene onto a sixth day so what does that mean and why the face (laughs) (laughs) this is a funny video when i think about it (laughs) so the meme is basically um there is a tiktok instagram meme where i think it's peter griffin um he's like saying whoa and it's just repeatedly him saying whoa and you just see the body go like jump cutting from here to here to here to here and basically they're just like leaving the situation you know and that's kind of what I did in the AD trailer um on one of our like less busy days and the caption like he said says when the scene gets pushed onto a sixth day most of the time any crew member and I'm sure like anyone working a nine to five would only like to work a five-day work week and so um we are promised let's say on Monday through Friday, like, okay, awesome, I get weekends off. And so when we have like scenes that are scheduled to each day, and you're like, oh, no, we're running out of time, we got to push this scene to a shoot day. But there's like, we can't push it to any day later than our last day of shooting. So we got to add a day in the middle of the schedule, which is one of your off days, hence the sixth day. And so you're just like, uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> I love movie making, but, uh, they're like, sometimes we have to put your foot down with like mental health and stuff. And I think I've been doing a lot better with like, um, saying no to certain things and taking those hiatuses and stuff. Um, obviously like during certain periods of times in a year, you're just like, eh, I can use the money. So, but yeah, that's the joke behind it is like, oh, sixth day. Mm. I'm okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd rather have the day off, right? Yeah. The, it's a lot harder to say no when you're an AD, though. As a PA, it's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, how – yeah, we just, just – let's just make our days, okay? <laughs> let's just make our days. Um, next clip, uh, speaking of fun, making – oh, what does it say? Making movies is fun. You had a you had a little kind of like I know you've you've I was I was scrolling through and you have snippets you kind of did a compilation snippet video with people just kind of having fun on set being mm. wacky and I think just on the quote it said making movies is fun 
um, and then showing some fun moments. So, because you kind of just said it there, is like, what, yeah, what I guess, what is, how do you see, because the AD position, let's just say specifically, is kind of like not a fun, it's not, like you're not there to tell people, hey, all right, everybody, make sure you're having fun, okay? Like mm-hmm. the job is, let's make sure we're yeah. on time. Sure. Which is the opposite of fun. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Um, everything that I've explained so far hasn't indicated that people are having fun. But I think I found a way to communicate with people where I'm able to loosen up um, after a while and still interact with people in like a sassy way, but also make sure that I bring people onto my team who are able to cater to a, um, for the lack of a better vocab word, fun environment. Um, and I, I, I do joke around a lot with people on set when I do assistant direct, especially after like day 10 or something. Um, and I found that humor and my sassiness kind of helps loosen that up, for sure. Because um, it also helps with my assertiveness, you know, with my sassiness. I try to make sure it doesn't veer onto passive aggressiveness, of course. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, th- I think for the most part, as long as you bring on people who kind of cater to that type of personality, who are able to do their job, but also loosen up when needed on downtime. But as soon as they say rolling or it's like, oh, we need this, you're like, switch it to the other side. You're like, oh, God, we got to do our job. And then like downtime, okay, let's just relax for a second and like chat, have fun. We're all friends. We're having a good time, you know. It's like, all right, what time is it? All right, we got to go. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> so, yeah, stuff like that. It's like you, you, you have like this on-off switch that um, you develop over time. Because it, it doesn't. For me, let me know if this resonates, but I don't almost feel like there's no off switch. Like, it feels more like it's a dimmer switch. Mm, oh, yeah. Okay, I feel that. Yeah, <laughs> And yeah. You, you can never go fully off because the ears have to be listening yeah. for stuff. My work mode is always on. My play mode is, like, dependent on the time. Dependent on the time. Yeah. Like, if it's, like, a really stressful time, then I'm like, this is not a good time right now, guys. Like, we, we'll, we'll have fun later. Like Or, like, let's say safety-wise. Somebody brings a skateboard. They're like fooling around skateboarding. I'll I'll be serious, but I'll make it fun still. And be like, like, hey, no skateboarding on my time. Go skateboard on your own time. Get out of here. You know, like stuff like that. I'm fooling around still, but I'm also putting my foot down on safety. So it's like the wording and the tone in which I like speak with people for that kind of stuff. Yes. So uh, let me, okay. Where does, how... What is the role, again, from the AD perspective here, how does fun fit in to still, like, how do you, how does that balance happen and how, how, I, I guess I'm asking too because I have a hard time navigating it on, like, how to know when it's time to work and when it's time for fun, how, how, because everybody's got to kind of try to kind of squeeze that, try to squeeze that fun in um, to have the whole set have that same vibe and feel. But how do we know when to have fun and when to... Mm. It's kind of like a weird, vague question. Yeah. But um, 
Let me think about that for a second. Because the way, the way that I initially think about it is like in the reference of time is, okay, we're on schedule and every, everybody's been consistent with making their times. We kind of know what we're going to get and when. So there, it offers that flexibility to um, kind of kind of drop the guard a little bit. But I don't, I don't know. It's, maybe it's a bad question. Um, it's not about necessarily mainly because like I've noticed there's a trend in my interviews as an AD where production or whoever's hiring me at the time would ask me how I would um, present myself as an AD and the word fun is also dropped into those interviews you know because they don't want a screamer um, they also don't want to hear that you're not a screamer because apparently that's a trend now is ADs saying that they're not a screamer anymore because of the trend of weeding out um, 80s as screamers. Um, so you're saying saying that I am not a screamer is a red flag? Kind of, well, it's not like a red flag. I think it's like, it's not one that I would recommend saying in your interviews anymore. Yeah, because one of my friends told me before I was about to interview for a different production that that was one statement I needed to avoid because the HR people at the time, just kept hearing it over and over again with every AD that they interviewed. I'm not a screamer. I'm not a screamer. I'm not a screamer, you know? And, like, it's true, you know, for the most part. But I think we're all still finding ways to describe how we do our job while seeming like a manager that is fun and respectable you know it's, it's weird you know I, I totally get your question and why it's like weird to balance between that um and yes like I said I am 100% work on most of the time I'm like listening but I'm like constantly like hearing on my walkie trying to hear what's happening here because if I miss what they're saying for a second then I get then I get in trouble um there's no real answer I can really give to you for that um it's really production dependent and why it's so important to figure out how to navigate through different people's personalities. And then once you figure out the positive ways to interact with people, then you could drop statements to people um, that you sprinkle throughout the day that keep the set light, you know? Yeah, and I think you kind of offered a, a nice thing there. We're talking about the team that you bring on is helpful to establishing the... Because if you have the team that you know can offer this hard-to-describe element to your set, yeah. you're like, all right, great. These people can do the job, but they can also have fun. Yeah. So it's nice to at least know that you're bringing the foundational space that can help set a tone for yeah, like... Yeah, because like you, like you know, ADing is very stressful, like especially the higher position you go, the more we have to manage. Um, so those people around you can help alleviate that stress from you and also provide you a space to vent when needed. Um, and I tell this to a lot of my PAs and AD friends as well too, like don't be afraid to just step away for a second and just go breathe, go cry in a corner if you need to. Or like just vent, you know, this is, this is, you know, our team is here to support each other for that reason. Um, so we can still enjoy the movie making process together. Lovely. That yeah. sounds lovely. Question on building your team. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming 
if you're not the first is is the first ad the one building like in your experience are you trying to bring on people like does it does it matter what position in the in the production hierarchy you are or is it first ad that is typically the one building their their team or is producers offering throwing people in there too Mm, it varies um usually i like choosing my own second ad um and then sometimes i choose my own second second uh for pa wise it's kind of a team effort um on union sets i notice it comes from mostly the second ad and second second and anyone else they're more like auxiliary picks from the first ad upm executives kid or something like that for must hires um <laughs> it's true it happens um sure, sure. <laughs> we gotta get them experience um, on set yeah usually usually from an indie perspective i typically try my best to hire people that i know or that other people that i know know um and then on bigger sets i think it mostly comes from upm down um, but I'm still kind of exploring that realm. So there are various answers to that. For me, mostly on independent, it's me hiring my team. Okay. So it's all right, Mishi. You're, you're hired as our first AD. <laughs> we, have, we have a second. We have some days we can bring on a second second. And then our base level is, I don't know, what, two PAs, three PAs? Who knows what the size of the production is if mm, you're talking Before, though, I would ask what the budget is. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. How do you, how do you – yeah, what – can you yeah what the where does the sizing change what are the what are the budget parameters and the team sizes how do you see that sure nowadays i never do a a production without a second ad i always try to push even short films for a second ad um it's just so much easier because even though the second ad is doing multiple jobs um they can at least step away from set I can't step away from set, um, period. So, but once I hit modified low budget, um, I have to have a second second, period. Modified low budget is uh, 250000 to 750000 question mark. Um, even low budget, I prefer to have a second second, but it's like tricky ground. Um, so at least second AD. And then modified low budget, I always try to fight for first second and second second. Um, and then from low budget on, you know, obviously you kind of have like the majority of your team. Um, once you get on like tier one, tier two, you're going to have like a base camp AD or base camp PA, you know, everyone starts having like their specific roles, you know, first team PA, walkie PA, like people who could be ADs, but you throw it into a PA position, okay yeah so when i'm trying to think about maybe the 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 smaller scale side of that where everybody's kind of more of a general set pa um in your second in your second second how do you because like you said you want to hire people that you already know Mm -hmm. or hire people that you know people that the recommendations from people that you know and trust um 
So if the people are, if the people are, you know, let's say they're watching right now and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to PA for Mishi or I want to get on set and kind of see your style or whatever. How does have someone even kind of, is there a possibility to get on, on this radar or how, uh, how does. Yeah, I, I think so. If you're like really green, like you've never been on a film set, my recommendation is um, film school, short films. Those are the best places to start because at least you get to dabble in all those schools. Most film schools are pretty much the same. The difference is that certain schools have higher budgets to provide to their students and more resources. Like I went to Cal State Long Beach, for example. The students there are just as capable as students at USC. The difference is that we just didn't have that much money. Um, USC has like two floors of equipment rooms, like five bajillion like sound stages. We just had two or three small ones that were like converted from classrooms um the only film school that i would say to avoid would be new york film academy i've never had good experiences from that um and very unsafe conditions from not only my experience but friends experience as well too and people who just didn't were they just didn't know like the basics of like working on set compared to like chapman usc loyola biola um cassie long beach and you know all the other film programs i don't i don't know what's going on there but aside from that i would try to find your way onto um a film school short film set because those are the most forgiving you know they're all students they're all learning together um however once you get a little bit more experience and you want to try to union set um there are green people who work on union sets but just take into account that those PAs are expected to know more. You know, they're expected to know how to do background paperwork. They're expected to know how to run cast um, through the works after they come back from base camp, Run, know how to run walkies, which is not that hard to do. Like, it's very teachable. But they just already know how the set works. So it helps to have at least some sort of basic PA experience. Um, but the other thing, too, is that People you bring on to a set, this applies to any position in the film industry, any person you bring on that is your recommendation or your hire or your friend's hire, like that's on you. That's on your friend, you know, because if they do something that's not uh, in good light, like they're not great uh, at their job, then that's on you. If they're, like, not experienced, you know, that's that's one thing. If they're teachable and moldable, great, awesome. Like, uh, you know, they're a fantastic type of hire to have. Good attitude, good initiative, fast learner. But if they just, like, are s- solid and they just won't move, they clearly aren't picking up the skills that we are giving them by week two, um, or they just have a bad attitude, then – you know, that's a reflection of you as the person who hired them. So that's why it's hard sometimes to hire newer people who you've never met before and don't even have a referral for either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's hard giving referrals too because it's like, all right, well, I, I, I know it speaks. On, I know it's going to reflect on me. I could take a credibility hit mm-hmm. if this person doesn't perform. So, yeah, yeah which is why – referrals are helpful because mm-hmm. like oh okay if this if me she's going to recommend this person i have good faith that they're going to be yeah. able to do the job yeah a, l- a lot of the film <clears throat> industry is word of mouth a lot like the reason why you don't see a lot of job uh postings online when you first start out is because 
most jobs are word of mouth or they already know you you know a producer who i've worked with like 10 bajillion times will come back to me and say hey we got this job that's coming up or like how certain actors will just be quote unquote given roles because they were already considered for it or they already have the connection to somebody you know they don't have to go look on those open casting call sites mm-hmm. um so most of my jobs nowadays are word of mouth yeah that's great mm-hmm. Let me look at my list here really quick. We're looking good on time. I want to do a, <clears throat> I don't know, let's talk about, because you mentioned it a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about these two things. This is kind of, this one seems a little bit more interesting. I'll jump into this. This is called, and this lays into the videos you put on your Instagram to you put a little like time lapse uh, or some sort of edit of script breakdown mm-hmm. as an AD in prep for a pro- in prep for you doing your job in pre-production. So A, what is breaking down a script? And B, what have you learned about your process? Like how, how has your process developed and what are you looking for? And then maybe you can talk a little bit about scheduling hacks and places where why, why, yeah, what do you look for when you're sure. reading? Sure. Um, so in filmmaking, most of the time when most of us start a job, we are given a script, either a short film, TV, what have you, feature film. Um, let's take a short film, for example. So a short film, I'll be given a 16-page script. I will print it out first because I'm old school like that. It's just a lot easier sometimes when you have a physical item in front of you to read. Um most people, they were printed out just like full page, but I like having two sheets per page because saving money and saving like science, and all that. Yeah, kind of like science, yeah. Um, when you break down a script, um, my first read through, if I have time, I will read through the script by itself, no notes, um, analyzing it that way. I can just get like a good sense of the script. But if I don't have time, then I usually combine this with my second step. I'll during the second step, I'll read through it scene by scene. And then I will draw a straight line in between each scene. So scene one, straight line, bottom of scene one, straight line. This indicates that there is a next scene too. Um, then I start notating what story it story day it is in the script. Similar to like script, script supervising. So um, I notate what story day that scene is. I notate um, each and every element in that scene. What characters are in that scene? What stunts are in that scene? What background players are playing? The props, the wardrobe. And each of those uh, elements that I read in the scene, I highlight with a color. So on my table, I will have a rainbow of highlighters. And it'll be like red is for speaking role. Green is for atmosphere. um, Orange is for stunts or special action. Purple for props, set deck, etc., etc. And you will just like see my script breakdown after a while when you look through the whole script, just be covered in lines, notations of story days, colors of elements. Um, and in red, I'll write questions to the director, like how many background were they expecting? How did they expect to shoot this scene? Is this gunfire VFX or practical effects with squibs, etc.? cetera? And um, I will, if I haven't met the director yet, I will take that breakdown and then run through my notes with the director and then discuss their vision and 
any questions I had story-wise or logistics-wise um, in the initial meeting. And then after that, I make like a preliminary schedule. So I will take that whole physical breakdown and I start going digital. I'll open up a program um, for free. It's synchronized. If you want to pay, it's Movie Magic Scheduling, both from the same company. Um, so Movie Magic Scheduling, I'll open up like this breakdown that basically digitizes everything that you just did. So cast, okay, in this scene, scene one, this is interior, uh, snowy bog, nighttime, this is three-eighths of a page, um, and then synopsis, and you put in all those elements digitally, and those will create strips. And slowly over time, you will get like, 16 different strips for 16 different scenes. And if I click each of those strips, it'll tell me all the elements related to that scene. Once I like do the full breakdown, that's when the scheduling starts. So the next step, I start moving around those strips to organize them into shoot days. And the most efficient way to organize the strips is by location and by time of day. So I keep all the hospital stuff together. I keep all of Wyatt's house together, all uh, pool stuff together. And then after that, um, I start indicating how many days these locations will take based on the length of time it'll shoot a dialogue scene or a stunt scene, etc. cetera. Um, and also, is it daylight dependent? Are the windows like big? Can we like what we call day for night it, which is faking a day as nighttime, etc., stuff like that. Um, or do we have to like stick with the real time of day because you know the sun moves or budget yeah. or or budget lo exactly constraints yeah. or yeah yeah even the short film that I'm like that I just broke down yesterday. Um, I asked them like, so is this a two day or three day thing? Because we can make it a three day thing because your one hotel scene right now is like nine some pages and that's that's a lot anything like over like four to five pages per day is, is a lot not that it doesn't happen you can probably make it up to like 18 I've seen 15 don't do it though um <clears throat> and I was like nine pages a lot can we do two two days of shooting to separate these nine pages into four pages five pages each day just so you can let your dialogue see and breathe and, you, and that's when you have the conversation with your director and your producer go hey so if you really want your performance to be good, you know, you don't want to push them too hard. This is what we can do to schedule this way. So that's when our next conversation will happen. I'll drop that schedule or options of schedules and be like, this is what options that we can probably work with. Now let me know your re restrictions. Actor restrictions, location restrictions, uh, budget restrictions. You know, we can only shoot in 25 days or this actor can only work Monday through Fridays or they have to fly out by May 15 because they have to go work on the rookie or something like that. Or locations like, oh, you can only work weekends. So your first initial schedule will never be the schedule. It'll always move around. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, now you know how to schedule a movie, everybody. Yeah. It's just... No, it's... um. Okay. Story days. <laughs> Let's clarify story days for people. Sure. Because I can let, yeah, because there's a difference between like when you build the schedule, there's the days that you shoot the schedule. That's, that's our reality. And then there's a reality within the story because stories jump around. You watch a movie, they're awake on one day and then the next week happens and the next week happens. 
So it's important to clarify because you might have the three hospital scenes on the same day. Mm-hmm. For, but they all might be three different story days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or it's there's like, a flashback. Yeah, they went back to the hospital three, three, <laughs> you know, three different times in the movie, and once yeah. they were in a cast, and once they're out of the cast, mm-hmm. and blah blah blah. So story day, story day, story night. Okay, great. Um, then I'm trying to think about too, because like, like of course you have you have way more first city experience than I do. So I'm thinking about like my own experiences because I I don't recall us talking about it, but I first aided a feature to end last year, and they were the ones like I don't know, they were the ones who decided like the producers figured out ahead of time. They're like they did the breakdown on their side because hmm. of course they had limited budget, so they're like right. we only have. I've had that happen. Yeah, we're like we only have two weeks of pre for you, so we did the breakdown. Um. And these are how many days we, we have budget to shoot for. Like, they did all the math on They did their line producing and figured out their their days. So I was like, all right, we just got to squeeze this in this many days. But do you find that there is flexibility as a first AD to push back on these decisions and stuff? I yeah. Do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if it's the producer's initial breakdown, then yes. Yeah, I, I can come in. And be like, okay, I will work with the number of shoot days that you have budgeted already. You know, it's already set in stone. There's nothing you can do about that to an extent. Um, but then I can step in and be like, hey, I noticed that you scheduled this this way. However, I don't think that's going to work. And I think we need to split it this way. You know, like, so there's right. there's room for conversation with that kind of stuff. And you have to come in with, like, a sense of confidence and pull from your past experiences for that. Um, and... As long as the producer trusts you, then I think it should work out. The difference is when you step in to production, like mid-production or like a percentage amount into production, and you're working with another assistant director schedule. That's when it starts getting really tricky. Nowadays, I try not to do that too much because now you're living with what I call the consequences of the decisions made from that schedule. You know, I don't call them like mistakes necessarily, but now you're living with the consequences, positive or negative, of the decisions that were made before you stepped in. Yeah. 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 I guess in my scenario, to clarify, yeah, they they had their breakdown, they had their schedule, and they're like, all right, this is the foundation, but we trust you to mm-hmm. optimize. Yeah. This yeah. Because stuff, at that yeah. point, usually when the producer makes a breakdown, you haven't shot anything yet. You know. Yeah. And it's you're way still early. you're still in prep work. Um, so that makes it a lot easier. Um, even if it's only like three weeks of prep or even a couple of days of prep, you're just like, okay, well, at least we haven't shot anything yet. Yeah. You know, there's still room to, there's still room to improve. But when you've already shot and you're taking over someone else's schedule, then you're like, mm, all right. Yeah. I'm just thinking about more like, hey, we have 23 days and here's a prelim that we broke down and you're looking at it. And then I, I take it, read the script, do all my own stuff, shuffle it around. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, we still have some crazy days that have stunts and a hundred background and it's 10 pages on the day and i'm like this that's when you start compromising with them like if you if you feel like you're in an absolute squeeze in the schedule then you could probably bring it up be like hey like either you guys have to add one more shoot day or you have to expect that one of these days is going to go into overtime like which one are you willing to pay the overtime or the extra shoot day and on top of that, 
depending on what day it falls in a week, and this is where like shuffling on around the schedule can get a little stressful. If you start veering into overtime, then it starts messing into turnarounds. You know, there's something called 10 hour turnarounds in California, uh, and you need to make sure that people are well rested. For SAG, it's a 12 hour turnaround, and, and you're gonna have to deal with forced calls for that, and that's more money for the production. Um, so it's like you change one thing, and all of a sudden, like, oh, the whole puzzle is kind of messed up. You gotta like shift everything all around again. So, yeah, it's no good. Yeah, so. It's, it's good to catch those things really early on and develop a relationship with the producer where you can be upfront with them about it, you know? Producers are one of the people on set where you can be a little bit more abrasive with, you know? Because even though they're the ones that hired you, at the end of the day, if we just didn't have enough money, that's technically on them, you know? They can't put that blame on you. Oh, we're just not budgeted enough for this, you know. I don't know. Like, in in my perspective, if you just didn't have enough money for so much that you're asking for, like, maybe you should have raised a little bit more money beforehand. Like, that's just me. But I also want to help you out as much as possible. Let's, Let's see what we can do. Indie filmmaking is, like, magical in a way where we are able to to find creative solutions to the smallest budget. But we also don't want to overexploit it. It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a balance. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, it does fall. We are we as a first <laughs> me putting my first AD hat on. Yeah, we are kind of the ones that can speak up to producers. It's it's I don't know the director can do it, we can do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe DPs can probably do it too. I don't know. Yeah, but it's not like people do come to us to go talk to producers about stuff. Yeah, you know. So, so we have to be a little bit more upfront and abrasive with that kind of stuff. The other day, the other thing too with producers is that when I get interviewed for jobs, sometimes, off, oftentimes they think they're only interviewing me and I'm the one being interviewed. But the way that I ask my questions, I'm also interviewing them, especially for indies because you can never know. That's how you. That's how I've been able to avoid. Um, really badly managed productions nowadays is interviewing them back you know asking them about like the budget and stuff like what kind of stuff have they worked on obviously I have to do my own research beforehand too but you know like instead of them only asking me questions I come in with my full-on research and questions as well too to make sure that they're doing their part uh do you have examples of these questions off the top of your head um or maybe like the big like a big the big two or a big one i guess first and foremost don't ever forget to ask about the budget you know i've had 80 friends who are a little greener who get scared to ask about money but if you don't ask about the budget how will you know what scale production you're working on yeah it's, yeah it's, it's very telling very quickly yeah yeah because then if somebody comes up to me and tells me they are a two million dollar project and they are travel and lodging, but they can't give you a second AD, then that's problematic. You know, I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Why can't you give me a second AD? Or they'll be like, well, um, our producer's kid wants to be, uh, works in production, so we're going to have them be your second second. I'll be like, oh, okay. Well, are you at least going to let me bring on an experienced second AD? Um, or I, I gauge their experiences, you know, like, 
what kind of projects have you worked on? Or like what, same thing with director, I asked him like, what kind of projects have you worked on? What's your vision, you know? And for the director, it's less about um, what their experience is, but just what their character is, you know? Um, yeah, are you gonna try, are we gonna like each other? Yeah, are we, are, do, do I match your project, you know? I know you're trying to fee- see if I'm a match for your project, but I'm trying to see if I'm a match for your project, you know? Like, do our personalities match? Or I'm gauging, are you a strong personality? Okay, then I will come into this project with a softer personality. Because two strong personalities together are going to be too, no bueno with each other. Um, are you a softer, greener director? Then I'm going to come in a little stronger, you know? And, and balance out you. Um, but if I notice that, our personalities in general just don't click and it happens it's it's sad when it happens but it happens um then i realize that i have to step away you know i'm i'm just not the right fit for your project and not everybody is so yeah it's good to have that confidence that you know like kind of like what your experience is and what you're willing to put up with and what you're willing not to put up with like that's a nice place to be yeah how often do you like you said, there's in those interviews, you're talking with the director and you're talking with producers and you're interviewing them as they're interviewing you. How often do you ask for not like maybe like a like a pseudo crew list for like who's on this project mm-hmm. outside of just those two? Are you, are you curious I about do who else? Sometimes, yeah. 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 Any, anybody specific? Like, are you looking for like who's the DP or who's costume designing? Or Yeah. I'll, I will, if, if there's somebody who's like within my circle with the film community, especially Asian American, like, because not that all Asians know each other in the film industry, but at some point, some names kind of like pop up. You're like, oh, I know that person, you know? Um, yeah, sometimes it'd be like, oh, like, do you already have a DP that you hired already and you're working with? Like, and if they're greener, like, are you happy with them, you know? Just, like, create, like, little banter conversation so we can, like, slowly get to know each other. Um, but other times, yeah, I am kind of seeing who is also attached to the project. Most of the time, I really only care about the producer, the director, maybe the DP when I'm getting hired on. Like, all of the positions are just, like, nice to know. Because um, at the end of the day, even if I don't know them, if we get along, great. That's another person to add into my network. Um, and, you know, when I see them on set again, I'll be like, oh, my gosh, it's Eddie, you know. Yeah, hey. So I try not to be clo- close-minded when it comes to people's names um, getting hired. Um, yeah. So, it, but do you ever be like, hey, director, nice chatting with you. Is, it, is there a chance? Or, like, producer. Because if, if the interview is only with a producer, you speak up and, like, I need to talk to the director, too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I like them as separate meetings. Um, if I want to talk to the director creatively, I prefer if yeah. it's just a director. Um, mainly because it helps us befriend each other better. And also, it gives me a chance to... Um, talk about the creative stuff because when the producer is there it's like the logistic element is kind of thrown in you know um and then the producer the meeting of the producer i sometimes don't like the director being there because like i said the way i talk to directors not directors uh, a producer is a little different you know i'm i i kind of coddle my director and then my producer i'm like 
hey, you know. Yeah, you get your firm stance. <laughs> yeah, and I, did, I did the firm hands on hip kind of thing. This is not going to work. And the doctor, whatever you want, you know, we're going to make this work for you, you know. I want to make sure you're happy. Yeah. And I'll go to the, the producer. I'll be like, the director's not happy right now. We need this. And <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you got to get them in separate rooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, I feel like, but I guess – does that happen often for you where you're like, I don't know that DP. Can I have a one-on-one with him first too? Is that a, is that a scenario? Say the question again. Um, is there, how often does it happen to where you're like, like you said, you want to have a one-on-one with director, one-on-one with producer. Does it ever come up with like, when you ask, do you have a DP on board yet? And they're like, Oh, we have this person. And you're like, Oh, I don't know that person. Can I hop on a call with them too before uh, taking no, a gig? Really. Yeah. I think uh, as long as I trust that the director and the DP are doing their due diligence, communicating with each other, then after a while I'll be like, okay, cool. Like once you guys have like a shot list going, um, if we're doing a lot of remote prep, for example, then yeah, let's hop on a call. Let's talk about it. Um, And that way I can get to know your DP as well too. But most of the time, no, I I don't push too hard to meet the DP straight off the bat. Um, I just kind of let those uh, meetings happen naturally. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice, nice. Let's let's end. Um, let's wind down talking a little bit about like because when we first met, I believe it was on Ashley Aiken's set for the AFI directing women's workshop. Single. 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 Yeah, and that short went to um. South by, which is very cool. But I think oh, that sorry, yes, it went to South <laughs> it by. It went Southwest. to South by Southwest. Yes. I think that was our was that our first. I think that was our first set together. I don't even know anymore. I know we worked on two to three, but a lot of your productions that you worked on, since it was on my feet a lot, kind of mixed in into my brain because you had people in your set that I also worked with. So <laughs> that's why I don't really remember. No, it's been so long too. I was like three years ago or something yeah. it was pre-pandemic um that was first ad on more of the indie side i think you were transitioning out of script soup at that point so you were kind of still bringing it up yeah, on occasion because a lot of usc people at the time mm, kind of knew me as script supervising because i came into usc projects doing script supervising because i did their um one of the James Franco features, they called him the James Franco features at the time before he was, um, had that whole ordeal. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I worked on Thomasina Sawyer um, as script supervisor, and one of the directors on that shoot knew I wanted to do more ADing, so he brought me onto more AD work. Um, so that's when I first AD'd Samir, among other um, short films that people brought me on at USC, single being one of the many student short films. Single was with AFI, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah AFI, Directing yeah. Women Workshop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then, because, uh, of course, I follow you on social media and stuff. I don't think we've been on set with each other for a while. Yeah, not for a while. But it seems like you've done some pseudo-transitioning. Like, you've gone from, from my perspective, the... the in like being a first AD on the indie, more indie stuff into almost more, I can't tell like a more of a support player on bigger stuff. Like oh, you're, like you're oh, making, like a, yeah, I've yeah. been balancing between um, indie productions and studio world. Yeah. Mainly because like 
uh, unlike Ayatsi, Ayatsi is um, one of the unions, like SAG. They're allowed to do union and non-union work. Um, ADs are not. That's DGA, yes. Director's Guild. Yes. So on studio sets or even anything above uh, a low budget tier, so like once you start hearing like hitting tier one, tier two budget, um, which I can't remember the numbers for those, unfortunately. It's not even that much. It's like for, two million plus. Or, there's like a three, three million, three million plus. Okay. Yeah, I, I can't work on those as a independent uh, assistant director until I join GGA. So on those projects, I join a support as the ADPA, um, the production assistant under the assistant director, mainly because I want to be able to network with the people in DGA who are already working on those sets, get a sense of how those sets run. Because when I worked as a indie AD, a lot of people kept telling me, oh, indie and studio, like indie and not a uh, union, they're all the same. And like, as I've discovered on these union studio sets, they're not. Like the foundational aspect of how 80s work in an indie set is pretty much the same as studio. It's just that the problems are a little bigger. You know, there's more money, there's more departments involved because compared to indie where all the jobs are squeezed into one, everyone has now their own individual jobs. Like a second AD on a small short film that's now split into a base camp AD, a second second that's on set, a second second that's at base, a first team PA, a walkie PA, a background PA. Background is what I worked on on the sympathizer just now. We just wrapped last Friday. And, you know, they handle, like, all of that paperwork and the vouchers and all the logistics regarding that. So there's just a lot more, like, tiny details that you have to take into account with those things and I'm glad that I was able to figure out and learn those things from a production assistant um, position because um, as a PA people are more forgiving to you with mistakes there's more of a safety net like compared to had I not done that working in a supporting role on studio sets I imagine that if I just transitioned from indie ADing straight into union ADing I probably would have had such a hard time um, because of those tiny details. And at that point, there is no net. If I mess up, I mess up. Yeah, and now it's on me. Okay, yeah, so you're you're kind of building up building up those days to yeah. that's that's the goal is DGA yeah. AD work in the union sets. Mm-hmm. I'm about 400 days in with my AD book Whew. out of 520. So many days. I know. And I'm uh, there's different routes to get into Directors Guild too. So I'm not doing the route that the PAs would on these studio shows because the studio um, level PA, they can submit a 600-day book. But that only gets them to third area, and then they have to upgrade from there. The book that I'm working on is strictly just assistant director days, no PA days included. um, And that one will get me into first area. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's your current route. That's my current route. Nice. Yeah. And then I guess maybe this is, I feel like this is the last question. Um, but how do you feel being on those union sets, observing the, like being in the supporting role for the union sets and you bring up to those people that you have first AD in the experience, does that, how much does that carry over? Like, is that something that matters or they're like, we don't really care? It kind of does, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it translates well enough. I mean, I try not to be like egotistical about it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of the time, they kind of find out that I do um, in the hiring process. They'll ask, why are you choosing to be a PA when you already work as an AD? Very valid question. One that I already answered in your last question. Um, but if anything, it helps me bond with these ADs more um, because I now come to set with a different level of experience than some of these PAs do. Like, obviously, some of these PAs do AD, but a lot of them that I've met have only done union-level PAing. Um, But they've never been thrown in a position where they had to manage a set. So that's, like, the different experience that I provide is that I can come with a different type of support where I'm still supporting them as a PA, I understand where I am in the hierarchy, obviously. I try not to overstep my boundary, but I'm able to gauge things um, in a way that a PA would not be able to because I get where the 80s is coming from. I know what their needs are. I know what's on their mindset. Hopefully, you know, each yeah, 80 yeah, thinks yeah. differently. Um, but you see all the moving parts. Yeah, and then they also see me as somebody who's also learning, you know, they – they also still give me the safety net because I'm a PA and also because I come from indie side. You're like, oh, you came from indie side. Let us teach you what the union side is like, you know. And I play that card, you know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride that wave. You That's know, it, it's good, you know, because it. I'm constantly learning, no matter how many years of experience that I get in this. Even when I join union side, I'm gonna be constantly learning. You know, uh, I'm not gonna let anyone get me down for not knowing enough. Um, it just means like there's just more room to grow. So awesome. Great. Well, very cool. That's 100 days still to go. Yeah. All, the, all the best. Hopefully by October, I'll be around um, 500 because I have like three feature films coming up in a short film. Killing it. <laughs> Killing it. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, and unless I missed... Uh, Unless I missed anything, I feel like I feel like we're I feel like we're there. That's kind of where we're at time. Is there anything I'm missing that you need to say about first AD? <laughs> um, no, not that I can think of. I I hope that you can find it in your journey to find your voice as an assistant director. But from my understanding, that's not your long term goal, though. I, if anything, I'm trying to avoid doing more first ad work yeah because you want to be a director right yeah directing's yeah. the directing's the dream script supervising is the money maker and it's much more chill than first ading so, <laughs> so i enjoyed that chair a lot more i do envy directors i will say because um directors have a different type of vernacular where they just have this vernacular to communicate with different people but what their vision is and me i have a vernacular to communicate with different departments too but like if i were to like dream up something i would be like mm, uh yeah it, i would like pianos the sound i can't really like describe it's, it's pianos hard. you it's know hard. it's hard you know you have to figure out your vocabulary to, to talk to not only your actors but just like your composer your production designer about exactly what tone and colors and lighting and it's you know, all that stuff. So I, I envy you for that to you know taking the step forward into your journey as a director and finding your voice in that realm so appreciate yeah. it thank you <laughs> yeah we'll see yeah no it's 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 been fun it's a lot um okay well uh i guess before this is 
where can people that want to follow you, where's the best place and what's the, where can people keep up with all things Mishi? Sure. I update my Instagram the most. Um, that's probably my most up-to-date. I do technically have a TikTok, but most of it kind of leaks out from whatever comes out of my Instagram. So if you really want updates, Instagram is the way to go. And then if you want to see my professional work, um, my name is easily Google searchable. My website is literally the same name as my Instagram. Um, and you can find my full resume there or find me on IMDb. Perfect. Yeah. All right. And that's the show. <laughs> Thank Thanks you everybody. so much. Bye-bye. Appreciate bye. it. Bye. Bye.